so settle back and enjoy another afternoon of snooker. What a shot. This is so special. Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. And that'll put a little spring and a step. He's done it. This is Snooker Club. This is Snooker Club, the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Hello, I'm Mark Watson. Welcome to Snooker Club, the only podcast you will find me, three-time pointless winner and the seven-time king of the world, Stephen Hendry. Hi, everyone. On today's show, we welcome England rugby star Ellis Genge through the doors of the Snooker Club, ahead of the Six Nations. And Ellis will be tackling, no pun intended, the quiz at the end of the show. Felt like a pun was intended, but we know how you feel about those, Stephen. Uh, we'll be looking ahead to the Bet Victor German Masters and getting Stephen's thoughts on WST heading out to Saudi Arabia and the possible introduction of a new 20-point golden ball. We've had more emails fly into our inbox than ever before, so there's plenty to get through. Welcome to episode 10 of Snooker Club. A little bit of self-indulgence first. Last week's episode with Mark Allen broke all of our records for opening day downloads and weekly downloads and fired us back into the Apple Top 40 sport podcast. The pods had over half a million uh, video views, half a million on YouTube. Thank you very much. Please do keep subscribing and downloading. Um, we've spent the week just sort of drunk celebrating that, basically. Uh, how was your Burns night, Stephen? It, w- it was good. It was actually a bit quiet. I, w- I was playing, um, we'll, we'll, we'll do our usual um, review of my qualifying efforts. Um, yes, I tried will, yes. to qualify for the Welsh Open in Barnsley on Thursday and uh, lost uh, 4-2 to Ross Muir. Um, yep. I, I, I played okay. There's some good shots in there, but I missed so, so many easy shots. And, and anyone that listens to my commentary will know that I go on and on and on. It's always the easy shots that cost you. And so uh, it, it bit my own backside, uh, my own commentary uh, on, on Thursday. So I drove home uh, from Barnsley, um, sort of uh, stewing on my defeat for three hours in the car. Perfect, really. <laughs> I didn't really. It lasted two minutes and then I was, I was over it. I, um, I know yeah. you better than that by now. You went with Finch Stewart and you barely remember it by, by the time you got home. I did have haggis at home. I got it from yeah. a local butcher. Um, I had the haggis, neeps and tatties, and I made my own sort of whiskey cream sauce to go with it. It was not very nice. How's your, are you, you're, you're, how's the tour going? You're still on tour. I am. I sort of always, well, I'm, yeah, still. It's got, a permanent tour, is it? A permanent world much. tour. It, well, it goes to November. So basically right. there there are some gaps, but it's, it's been well over a year. It's 103 shows, I think. Um, wow. Last week I had to do one. We've talked before on the pod about um, like what you would skip events to be at uh, sports contests. I would Bristol City. Would, my team were playing in the FA Cup on Friday night, um, and my show was in Western Supermare, which is like round the corner. And there's nothing right. I could do. I literally had to. I drove past the ground and oh, saw it no. all lit up. And like I was on the train with fans, all of them <laughs> coming in, all of the scuffs. Everyone assumed I was going to the game as well. Pretty, pretty frustrating. So. Um, I'm not saying I didn't want to do the Western Supermare show, but I had quite a lot of people in the show were also following the game. So it became like right. I was aware of people. It was nil-nil, though, that, so in in a way, it didn't right. really matter. <laughs> but also, it is a bit like you've said before. The crowd is what does it, basically. As soon as you walk out in front of people, mm. it does give you a lift, even if you're on the way there thinking, I'm yeah. so tired. I don't, I don't do this. <laughs> the, feeling of, the feeling of walking out there in front of people, it, you do get an extra you find an extra gear which must be similar to was there was there a crowd for your game with Ross Muir or was it just like there, there was a few people in actually I mean because Ronnie had qualified for the World Open two days before he was there um, and there was there's a, the, I would say at each table there's room for about maybe 20 people 30 people yep. 
So it was, it was full. So I, I can draw a crowd. Of, you know, if I play in stadiums of sort of 20, 30 people, you know, I'm pretty big. <laughs> yeah. So we're getting close to sell out now. Just a dozen or so tickets left. <laughs> so uh, another episode of the podcast and another win for Ronnie. Um, yeah. He won the uh, Spellex World Grand Prix title, beating Judd Trump in uh, yeah. what was quite a battle. That's seven days after he won the Masters, of course. Um, also a record-breaking week for ITV, by the way. Mm. The average UK TV audience uh, across the event was up 13% on last year. 4.6 million individuals reached uh, on ITV3 and ITV4. And the final uh, had a peak of 1.3 million views, the most watched snooker match in ITV's history. So there you go. Snooker continuing to grow. Yeah, it was fa- fabulous. I mean, I feel like it's the, uh, you know, the, the, the goat argument between me and Ronnie is getting further and further apart. Every week we're talking about another win for him and another defeat for me. <laughs> so it's, got, yeah, it's, got, I, I, it's, get, it's get that pattern. But no, no, it was a fantastic week for ITV. It really was. Yeah, look, the goat argument is looking difficult at the moment, but in, maybe in five years' time, you're racking up these trophies and Ronnie's struggling to get <laughs> to qualify. I, absolutely, absolutely. Just with the, like with the, uh, the final against Ali Carter, again, it, obviously Judd had a lightning star it did look like it could be on for him we, we keep talking about it players can get ahead of ronnie but they just can't mm. maintain it over however mm. many frames it takes you could argue missed a trick in the afternoon at the judd trump he maybe should have been at maybe six two ahead um maybe yeah. even more because he did start well and ronnie didn't start well at all i mean the, the night before ronnie had played probably the best snooker i've ever seen him play in one yeah. session beating ding john we i mean it was absolute perfection it was um, i it was heard incredible. you say it was among the best performances of his career which yeah. is really saying something the, the biggest yeah, measure of he, it is even Ronnie admitted that it, that he'd played well. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly, exactly. I mean, we, we all said, you know, if, if he comes out in the interview afterwards and says he didn't enjoy that, he didn't play well, you know, that we, we thought it, it wouldn't it wouldn't look good. And I think he, he, even he knew. I mean, the, these performances, even for Ronnie, they don't come around often. Um, and no. that was just uh, it was just from another planet. That snooker that night, it was incredible. I made a similarity in, in my commentary that um, you know sometimes you get a golfer shoot fifty nine and he can't do that again the next day. Yeah. Shoot sort of 78, 79 because you just you can't replicate that. Um, but yeah, Judd missed a trick. He should have been further ahead, I think, after the first session. Um, and it was it was just a mirror image of the Masters final: five yeah. three behind, seven seven, and went ahead and won ten seven. And this is the thing against Ronnie, isn't it? You, you even if you're ahead by a couple of frames, if you miss one opportunity to, mm. to kill him off, you, 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 then you, he's going to come back at you. It's it's unbelievable to watch, really. Um, you have to feel a bit sorry for Ding because he often seems to get in the way of Ronnie just when Ronnie's in this sort of form. I think obviously they're, they're, they're doing a lot of exhibition work together in China. They've become quite close friends, I think. Um, and I think, you know, unfortunately for Ding, um, Ding's got obviously more comfortable playing Ronnie, but Ronnie's got co- very comfortable playing Ding. Um, yeah. And, and I think the, the games are quite compatible as well because mm. the cue ball is so good that when they miss, invariably you're, you're, you're perfect on the, on the other shot. You could yeah. play someone whose cue balls all over the place, and they miss, and your cue balls in bulk, and you think, "Oh my God, like, you know, where, where, where is this?" But when they miss, it costs them every frame. Right. So the way Ding, like his management of the cue ball, is actually is making it worse for him because it means yeah, Ronnie, yeah. someone it's working like Ronnie against can him, just yeah. snap his hand off if he makes a mistake. Yeah, it's tough. Also, if you play with someone regularly, like that, do you start to read their game 
instinctively like is Ding making it harder for himself by playing these exhibitions with Ronnie I think I, th- I think possibly I mean I th- in, in one sense you could argue that it's making Ding more comfortable playing with Ronnie um, right but, I suppose so yeah, yeah. I, th- I think if I think if Ronnie is in a comfort zone um, I mean listen it doesn't even if he's not in a comfort zone he generally wins anyway um, but in the comfort zone I think he can just go out and treat it almost like an exhibition he doesn't yeah. feel the, the, the pressure and um, yeah and as I say, I think Ding's game. I think it, they, they they know each other's game, the way they play. I think you know inside out. So it's um, yeah. Unfortunately, Ding's got to try and because he seems to be playing well every time. I mean, he didn't play badly in that match. He lost six one. No. Didn't play badly. And we've said it before. Sometimes in snooker, you just you've just got to sit there in your chair and and take it. There's very little control you've got over that. Probably no one in the world could have won that game. Yeah. Um, as, as, as I said after the final, I said, you know, in, in, the, in the studio, it says, where, where, you know, where, where, who's going to stop Ronnie? Where are the top players? What, what's happening? Selby was was, was poor. Um, Judd couldn't stay with Ronnie for the entire distance. Yeah. Um, where's I mean, I said, like, I mentioned Robertson, and he uh, he texts me about it. Um, he said, I'm playing, I'm, I'm practicing hard. Well, you got to practice hard. You got to, you know, where, where, who's going to compete with Ronnie? Who's going to stop him doing the the triple eight? He's done the eight UK. He's done the eighth Masters. I think yeah. Destiny is, we, we talked about in the last podcast, it's probably going to be the eighth world title. It's feeling hard to imagine it not happening. I mean, yeah, mm. you're right. Robertson needs to step up for the good of the whole snooker community. He's one of the only guys <laughs> with the tools to beat him. Someone stop him, please. Come on, Neil. <laughs> Let's put in 15 hours a day till you're there. Yeah, we'll see. Again, like you've said before, it sometimes feels like Ronnie can only beat himself, really. So, it, but his head seems to be right for the major tournaments. It, it's difficult to see him going to Sheffield and not being in the right, you know, Simple in the right fact. form. He's just too good at the moment. Simple He's too players. good. Um, I mean, one thing about and we've talked about him a lot on this podcast because how can you not? But um, uh, one thing we don't always acknowledge is like he's he's so much older than any other player that's dominated like this. Uh, Steve Davis's mm. last title was thirty-one. Mm. White was forty-one. You were last mm. number one. I'm not saying it won't happen again, but you were last world number one at mm. thirty-eight. Yeah. I, I mean, how, how has he redefined? sort of the, the life expectancy of a snooker player. Not on his own, I suppose there's Higgins as well and Williams. Yeah. But to be dominating any sport at the age he is, is just mm. almost unheard of, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's, he's physically fit. He looks after himself. Um, so, as he said, I think he's forty-eight, but I don't, he's I don't think, yeah. I don't think that's his men- mental age in terms of his act, how active he is, how how well he can concentrate, how well. I mean, you, you probably take almost twenty years off that. The, the way, yeah. the way he's, he's still competing. So, as I say, he's looked after himself. And I think, and I've said um, a few times that he's got that, uh, you know, amazing attitude where, okay, he's trying to win when he's out there, but if he loses, he, he doesn't really care. It doesn't affect his life. It's not going to affect him that the, you know the next week. He's not going to dwell on it. He's got other things to do, and he's just going to chill out and do his exhibitions and go to China and and, and wherever and get very very well paid. So it's yeah. not be all and end all. We we see a lot of players like Jack Lasowski talking about how he's just not enjoying it. the pressure of it. It's mm. just you know weighs on you. Mark Allen's talked about it. Basically, there's no other player that can afford to be like not that worried if he loses. And well, apart yeah. from you. And um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that that must be having a bearing like. Ronnie playing in this form, but also with no real pressure, putting yeah. no real pressure on himself. It, that really is a tough, a tough problem. I mean, in, yeah. In any sport, if you've got that that ingredient where the the, the actual result doesn't matter to you in your life, really. Um, yeah. 
it's it's an, it's an incredible position to be in. It really um, is, and that makes and that, and that makes me think like, how long can he go on? Because he's as I say, he's, he looks after himself. Um, you know, it's it's at the minute, it's you don't you can't see him slowing down in terms of no. winning. We could be doing this podcast in five years, and he's, we're still having these conversations. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, maybe they stop commissioning the podcast if, <laughs> if it was five years of Ronnie set, Ronnie wins, Ronnie wins. We'll have to find something. Yeah, to be fair, he's not he's not everywhere. He's not at the German Masters, for example, no. which is happening as we speak. So there's a door opens for someone else. Who who do you yeah. think? Scott? Also, have you have you played out there? It looks amazing. The venue. It is my my actual my final season. I played. Um, there and it's a it's a phenomenal venue it really is um it seems to be full every session and it's a, it's one of those venues where even though it's multi-table um i can't remember it's four or five tables in the arena it doesn't feel like a multi-table venue it's uh, it's quite unique it's quite similar it's just a big round building but the the, the people are on top of you um so yeah it's a, it's a fabulous venue so um yeah as you say a chance for someone else to step up and, and, and yeah. again another reason why why ronnie is going to be going for a long time i think is, is the fact he is picking and choosing the events he plays in yeah he's doing that very well by the by the look of it um there's seven tables apparently so that sounds like a massive arena seven tables yeah yeah Incredible um, stuff. um to, i think this venue though the, the last two three years was thrown up some some surprise wins ali carter won it last year beat tom ford in the final um ali carter's obviously playing well final of the masters yeah. um yes. you know he, he when, when you when you're defending it you don't want to let a title go that you've won so you, you're sort of desperate to keep it um and also the the players championship the players series on itv there's a few players that are not in that yet yeah. to be in the top 16 in the one year. So this, you know, the German and the Welsh Open, uh, which is, I think, the, the following week, are going to be big weeks for some players to get points. Yeah. There'll be a new trophy to play for soon. The WST heading out to Saudi Arabia. Mm. Uh, it was announced last week. First time ever for uh, an invitational event, March 4th to the 6th. The top eight in the world, plus two wild cards. Um, you had mentioned before, you're thinking about moving out there so that you can be one of those yes yeah i'm moving out there tomorrow mark uh in in, in order to try and get my wild card uh for the very sensible yeah. it's come to drastic measures when you have to relocate <laughs> your life to saudi arabia for a local wild card but look if it gets you in there um this is an interesting one obviously a lot of people are talking about this golden ball mm. uh idea which but it's not quite clear what will happen it's, it's only yeah. after a 147 and we also don't know yeah. where it'll be on the table or anything yeah, I think I think we need to stress that it's only if it's there's been a one four seven that gold ball is going is going to come into into the equation. Um, listen, the whole thing's the whole thing's very exciting. Um, you know, I mean, it's it's. I played in Dubai in the early eighties. We had we had a tournament there for three or four years. Um, yeah. Since that, there's been a tournament in Bahrain. So I think to open, um, you know, maybe snooker's version of the Middle East swing like they have in golf um, would, would would be incredible. And I know it's 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 isolating the top eight players, and they're the players that are going to be obviously earning a nice few quid for going here but it's going to lead to other tournaments in the region and that's going to benefit the whole the whole tour yes i suppose that's the idea isn't it it's a gateway players are always they're always saying they want more events and um yeah to be fair be careful what you wish for it feels like there's going to be no no break in the calendar at all if it carries on like this mm. but you know it's, it's a good it's a good earner as you say and um yeah interesting one yeah, yeah. um i'm sure we'll hear from people about the golden ball idea maybe you could get in touch with us with other rules like rule changes or gimmicks that you'd like to see introduced that'd be a fun thing to hear if a player does do a one four seven they have to pot the golden ball maybe maybe some of our listeners or uh, could maybe suggest where that ball should be to pot where it. should the ball be is there anything else if, if a player makes a one four seven should they reset the table and he gets to just carry on and try and make maybe a, dangling from one? the light shade in midair that would be a difficult <laughs> pot <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. Or you have to play the next flame, uh, frame blindfold if you get a 147. <laughs> there's, there's loads of things we could be doing with this if, if we're going to start uh, having fun with the rules. Hi, I'm the Pistol, Mark Allen. I'm an M on the practice table. I like to listen to the WST Snooker Podcast Snooker Club. Welcome back to Snooker Club. Um, those that follow me on Twitter or X, Watson Comedian, will know I've uh, had quite a few problems receiving my post this week, but the same cannot be said about our Snooker Club inbox. Loads of messages as ever. We love hearing from you. Keep them coming. Snookerclub at WST.tv is the address. And um, if you don't hear your email today, we are plowing through quite a big backlog, uh, as you'll learn. So keep listening. We will read yours out in a future episode. Uh, so we've had, for whatever reason, a real bumper crop of um, encounters with snooker players. Steve from East Devon, which is near where I'm going this week, actually, Steve. Um, if you happen to be, well, is it East? Yeah, not quite. Axminster, anyway. Uh, love the podcast. Works extremely well. This is a gag. We'll see how, how Stephen does with this. After <laughs> hearing about a listener bothering Ronnie in the IKEA queue last episode, it occurred to me this was another queue action that might start upsetting the goat. And that is a... That's a gag about Q. Stephen yeah. is just sort of nodding yeah, part in, of the pun, in a yeah, weary part way. Of the pun, yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank I you, got, Steve. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got there and well done. <laughs> this is a cracker. Well, this is a classic in our uh, archive of boring meetings with snooker players. Toby, uh, Toby Corn says, Hi, Stephen and Mark. Loving the pod. Around 2002 or, or 2003, I once saw Mark Davis doing a big shop in the St. Leonard's branch of Sainsbury's. And he's actually wow. capitalised big. So he really... Davis was Big really shot. racking up a lot of cereal there. <laughs> <laughs> he says he seems astonished to be recognized. And um, I guess if you're doing a big shop, you, you sort of don't expect someone to pull you aside, really. If you're I, Mark Davis was fairly high up in the world at the time, I suppose. But even so, that's a that's a great niche spot. Yeah. Well, big big shops, you're, you've got to be pretty focused, haven't you? So you're, you're, you're really concentrating on what you've you got. You've probably got the list in your hand. You're probably like missing. So you're, you're concentrating. You don't want to be bothered, really, do you, in a big shop? No, Little right shop. Hand, you're holding the basket in hand, no problem. Speak sure. to me all day. Big shop, stay away. Absolutely right. If you're doing a big shop and you're looking at 40, 50 items and you, you've maybe got a partner at home who's checking them off that list, you, you can't afford to. We've all come home minus three or four items and that's, it's the key. Those are the margins where you can win especially it, if it, it. Especially if it's a day of the month where it's 25% off six bottles of wine, then don't disturb me then. One of those or a big club card offer or something. So yeah, <laughs> if you're listening, if you see a snooker player or any famous person in the supermarket, just try and get a sense of whether it is a, a big shop or not and, and yeah. maybe back off if it looks as if they're in the zone. And please, and please the, drink responsibly. And please drink responsibly, yeah. Don't, uh, a special offer on wine is not an invitation to make bad life decisions, although we've all done it. I suppose in a way it is a bit like building a maximum break, actually, that big shop. You, you've, you're yeah. getting going through the aisles, you're getting towards your hundred, but you yeah. still you could still walk away a loser if you if you don't pick up the brown flakes or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very important time of the time of the, the week or is it every week? Is it weekly or how do you, how many times do you do big shops? Is it weekly or fortnightly or or do we you don't, don't know? My partner does quite a lot of like smaller shops to keep things ticking over. So right. a proper big shop is I'd say every week, every couple of weeks, but we don't know what Mark Davis's shopping habits are. Maybe we can find out in time. <laughs> for next week um charlie says uh me and my mate james went to nuremberg for the european masters final this season boarded the plane early at stansted on saturday morning and next to us was none other than the chairman of the wp sba jason ferguson chat the snooker for the entire flight fast forward to the end of the final after pretty much everyone had left the arena we're taking some pictures over comes jason and says hello took a selfie with us then he's next to them on the flight home <laughs> from nuremberg i mean the chairman no... doesn't fly by private jet it's amazing isn't it <laughs> they say there's money in snooker um 
there was pretty much no talking on the way back though as me and james had come straight from the pub to the airport so we slept the entire way that's that's a british sports fan in action um, we now refer to him every time we see him on tv giving out trophies as our mate jason and it really annoys our girlfriends he's a really down-to-earth approachable guy that's true he's a i think guy. He jason always, is a lovely guy uh, love the podcast and he signs off by saying hope I get a ticket to the live show at Ali Pali so it's fair to say that email came in a while ago <laughs> I hope you did Charlie um, now this doesn't happen too often but someone's been in touch with a meeting of me rather than Stephen or snooker royalty mm. love the pod my dog always gets an extra long walk when a new episode is out hope the walk's going well I met Mark at Lincoln train station I remember this we were both <laughs> on our way to his gig I spoke briefly with him about Bristol Rovers, who, of course, are the, the enemy. <laughs> Brackets, I made a mistake getting Rovers and City mixed up. So he was on the back foot correct, straight away. Uh, Mark corrected me quickly. We spoke about Lincoln City, mentioned his brother's book. And <laughs> I don't remember this bit. I offered him directions to the venue. Mark declined. <laughs> um, I, I don't know why I would have said. Why would you say? No, get Do lost. Directions? <laughs> no, no. I, I, when he says declined, it must have been that I already knew where or maybe i was going to the hotel first or something i don't think i would have just said no you go to the venue and I'll <laughs> mind your own business not to someone i knew was i mean i suppose it is a bit awkward to turn up like with one of the punters but i definitely if i needed anyway sorry about that mate um <laughs> he also says he's the second most famous person i've met uh, behind mark e smith the uh the, the late singer oh, from right, the fall yeah so there you go i'll take that i'll take top three um also uh you mentioned player nicknames in the last one um Myself and my friend are obsessed with nicknames on the tour. We love Ladowski's nickname, The Dude. And we saw him against Murphy at the Masters. Uh, after seeing Is that Sean. His nickname? I didn't I know that he was Paul. Yeah. Who calls him The Dude? We'd like more. We'd like <laughs> more clarity on that. <laughs> I kind of like uh, that. Can I steal that? You can have The Dude. Yeah. We just need to get you back in tournaments big enough that Rob Walker is shouting your name at the start. You, you can't really... You can't bring yourself on in Barnsley as the dude, I don't think. Um, after seeing Sean, we, we decided he should be nicknamed the King of Rock and Roll because he strutted and stomped around the table like Elvis Presley. We also want to suggest that Robert Milkins should be nicknamed Confessions after the film Confessions of a Moment. I'd love to have Confessions as a nickname. Um, I don't know if Murphy needs to be called the King of Rock and Roll. I feel like he's already got... You know, well, he's got the magician, isn't he? We, we just we've had confirmation that Lazowski is normally known as Jackpot. So yeah, we'd like to hear more about why you think he's called the dude, the big Lebowski. Is it that it rhymes with Lebowski? Yeah, it'll be right. that. That's quite a tenuous way in. The um anyway, keep coming up with your nicknames that you think players should have. The big talking point of the week, though, and we've saved this to last, is and everyone knew this was coming. Waspgate. You, you'll oh. remember last week or last episode, Stephen lashing out at his um. Mortal enemies, yeah. the wasps, and unwisely he asked, "What have wasps ever done?" Yeah, good. I said, what, they're, "I just said, what's the point?" I know, no good. They shouldn't be here. I know, and we've had a big reply, haven't we? Inevitably, several wasp fans have been in touch. Yeah, I must warn you, Stephen. There are once again some puns coming up here. Mm -hmm. During your most recent podcast episode, Stephen asked a stinging—that's not even really a pun—but a stinging <laughs> question: What good do wasps do in the world? Yeah, uh, Hugh goes on to say, when it goes to poll uh, when it comes to pollinators, I didn't ever think I'd be reading this phrase in this new podcast. <laughs> when it comes to pollinators, wasps are just as important as bees. Over thirty-three thousand wasp species pollinate over a thousand different kinds of plants. Uh, the economic value of the pollination services to agriculture alone is estimated at two greater than two hundred and fifty billion dollars a year worldwide. Wasps are also top predators of crop damaging insects. Additionally, he's clutching at straws a bit here. Wasp venom and saliva have antibiotic properties 
in yellow jacket venom has shown promise in treating cancer. You'll eat your words if the cure for cancer comes from wasps, Stephen. But I'd say that's, wow. a, that's a bit yeah. of a leap at the moment. Uh, well, I hate them. So there we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're going to budge here. Doro from Germany, where the Masters is currently being held, has, has gone into a bit more. This sounds like they're coming from a place of more knowledge uh, about the importance of wasps. We're going to regret that you ever brought this up. Wasps, again, also regulate populations of crop pests and insects, as the previous person has um, pointed out, that carry human diseases. Maybe that's the reason they fly around Ali Pali, as it's said to be not too clean there in places. That's just picking up one of Ronnie's complaints. In Germany, wasp nests are protected by law on biodiversity groups. And you won't believe this, Stephen, swatting a wasp can cost you a fine between 5,000 and 50,000 euros. 50,000 well, euros I mean, fine that, for swatting that, that, a wasp. You'd be out that of pocket. would cost me a fortune. My, yeah, a yearly, would... my yearly bill would be a fortune. <laughs> Even in the in your, your prime earning days, you would have been all of the money you won. You'd be, oh, you'd be the spray, losing. The, the sprays banned in Germany then? We don't know that, but we'd love more information on that, Toro. Yeah. Um, Doro themselves says, I'm in Germany, but I don't like wasps. So they're on your side. But um, right. looking forward to the next podcast. Hopefully no stings. Everyone's full of wasp humor. Um <laughs> Well, I'll do some Googling into that. Surely you're allowed to swat a wasp away if it's disturbing a snooker yeah. match. If there's a wasp on the table in the German Masters this week, you can't tell me that a player is going to pick up yeah. a fine. These people are defending the usefulness of wasps. That's not the same yeah. as actually being a wasp fan. Okay, yeah. well, again, we'll, we'll throw the gauntlet down. If, if anyone's watching and not they think wasps are useful, but they actually have affection for wasps, we would like to hear from you. Is there any <laughs> crossover between snooker fans and wasp fans? Stephen thinks not, and I think he's probably right. It's Keep them coming. Sponsored though. by Raid. That's that spray in it. Raid. <laughs> spray. Yeah. This is currently remains an anti-wasp podcast, but we're we're open to at least you trying to change Stephen's mind. Hi, my name's Ali Carter. When I'm flying my aeroplane, I change the frequency to the World Snooker Tour official podcast. Uh, now it's time to welcome this week's special guest, an England rugby star, set to line up against Italy in the Six Nations next week. Named in the World Rugby Team of the Year in 2022. Featured in England's last two World Cup campaigns and plays for my team, Bristol Bears, is Ellis Genge. How are you, Ellis? I'm good, mate. Yeah, Ellis, um, welcome. Fresh off the pitch. Stinking. Thanks, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm uh, excited, boys. Really am. We can't smell you <laughs> over the over this team's meeting, so that's all right. Um, <laughs> we discovered before this began that Ellis supports Bristol Rovers, actually my enemy team. So this was someone's good idea to bring two Bristolians together, but it is a recipe for disaster. We'll try and get around it. <laughs> Obviously, the Six Nations is looming, Ellis. And um, how are you feeling about it? Last time you won it, it was, well, in Rome, but in an empty stadium. Yeah, it was uh, COVID, wasn't it? We uh, it was yeah. a weird one that because it Strange. got. Um, I remember we played on. I think it was the twelfth or the thirteenth of uh, March. We went Cheltenham actually the day after because the whole Six Nations got disbanded, so we all went to Cheltenham races the day after. So I can't forget <laughs> that one. Um, yeah. Brilliant day. We beat beat Wales, and then um, we were supposed to play Italy the week after, and obviously the world literally went into lockdown. Um, and then a year later, we had to replay that game. Um, it was weird. It was weird. We played one game the last game of the Six Nations, and it went straight into the Autumns. It was such a weird uh, yeah, that's weird right. time that, to be playing. I was trying to work out, because it didn't make sense in my head why why we were playing Italy, but that's why, wasn't it? They, they had to yeah. break the Six Nations off before the end. That is mad to look back on. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, you've just been at the World Cup as well. What's it like, the hype around the Six Nations, like compared with the World Cup? Because, I mean, the World Cup must be the big one, but on the other hand, you, you, you're in another country, so it's you must be very conscious of it when you're here. Yeah, I mean, the World Cup, you know, you can compare because you literally, you work in cycles in, in, in rugby. I know in snooker, 
it's a bit different because you've got so many tournaments to sort of sink your teeth into. I know you've got the big ones, the Masters, yeah. uh, and all the special ones, but for, for us, it comes once every four years. And you almost, definitely for the Northern Hemisphere teams, base your, I guess, your aspirations off of how well you do in the Six Nations leading up to it. And we, we didn't do very well, so uh, no one was sort of holding their breath. And then uh, I guess we, we shocked a few people. So it was it was a good time to be an England fan. But in the same breath, yeah, we want to sort of carry that on into the into the Six Nations. Yeah, it must be after the last Six Nations, not many people would have predicted England would be the ones that would go further than anyone else. It shows you you mm. can't always tell. I don't know if you're aware of the um, rivalry between England and Scotland, Stephen. And the, we've been on the wrong end of that the last few well, years. Well, funny, I, I was going to ask the question, are you going to beat Scotland this year? Because it's not—is it well, not the last two years we we've we've done yet? I think more than that. They're a bit of a bogey team for us. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, there was a long I, period where I got to the age of about nearly forty before I saw Scotland win at Twickenham, but it, it, it has happened a couple of years now. Yeah, yeah, they um, they've been a tough team to beat for the last few years, especially when you play them in the first game as well. You mm. you don't underestimate them. They just they always rise to the occasion. Everyone wants to beat England. It's just the way it is. Take yeah. it with a uh, bit of an honour. <laughs> do you feel that when when scotland playing it this is like their the, the big game of the six nations uh yeah definitely last year anyway because it was the first one as well and you can sort right. of we, we just didn't start well um but we're a different team now so um we'll be looking to to change that, unfortunately Stephen. but yeah they're um they're, they're full of passion full of fire as the scots always are so um they're a brilliant team enjoy watching them how, how hard is it to after you know after you've lost to a team you've got to clap them off is that right yeah, you shake hands and it's the same thing. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we do the full Monty. We we give them a cheer, yeah. free cheers for the opposite team, and that is uh, pain, painstaking sometimes. That is, yeah. is what it is. It's in the it's what rugby's like, mate. It hasn't changed yeah. for years. This is one of those sports that are like very, very traditional, very old school, and mm. it's always been the case. So you don't know. You literally do it from from ten years old. Do you still have dinner with the other team in the evening? Is that a- see that that was I came when I stopped playing England 2016, and that sort of lasted up until COVID, right. and then stopped. It just stopped after COVID. Don't really do it anymore. I always thought that must have been pretty weird after like a. Again, it's part of rugby tradition that yeah. sort of thing. But the, the thought of all having to sit down together after a battle like that is quite oh, weird mate. to think of. In we, most we've sports. had some we've had some painful ones, and like. I guess you don't really need to put up with it in individual sports, but obviously when you're sat there as a team and like the opposition's corporate sponsors are talking and they're saying, oh, thanks England for a good game and you've lost and you think, oh, I just want to drop a Swede on this bloke. But um, <laughs> it's one of them, isn't it? Like you say, it's, it's what rugby's like. You're very well-mannered and you sit there, you nod your head, you eat, eat your beef and, and potatoes, you get on with it. <laughs> yeah, knock, knock the other guys off the table. Yeah. <laughs> so you, how are you feeling about England's chances this year? You say we, you, you've come a long way as a team from this time last year. We feel good, mate. Yeah, we um, got a very different squad. Obviously, we lost over 300 caps, um, which is a lot in the last uh, two months. Boys retiring and uh, calling it a day, but got an exciting young squad. Some of the players that we've got in the team at the moment are on fire in, in Europe as well. Obviously, the big competitions around the world yeah. and yeah, it's, it's, it's so exciting to be a part of the team. It's, it's the first group been together, so I can't really speak in terms of how we're going to do, but look, we're, we're definitely putting our best foot forward. How much do you think rugby's changed in the last sort of 10, 15, 20 years? Because I, I, if I look at it now and 20 years ago, if I watched, you guys like are like just just ripped now, right? When I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, 20, 30 years ago, there used to be these massive big guys who yeah. didn't look like they look like come straight from the pub. I'm probably doing them a massive disservice. I was watching rugby, watching Ellis's team Bristol in the 80s, and even then, 
it had only just gone professional in the early 90s and you still had players that were like an estate agent or a, a doctor and you, yeah and also like you say they didn't even train that much i think it has ellis will say but it's changed unbelievably i think from a spectator's mm. point of view yeah i think it, it tried to sort of run before a good walk rugby it went from yeah. completely amateur to completely professional yeah and like uh like mark just said people were still still picking up the shovel on a on a, on a wednesday thursday right. and playing on a saturday so um that was probably why you've seen a, a few people looking like they Probably I've just come from the pub, to be honest. Um, but no, it's uh, what I will say is that the, the higher echelons of the game is is, is up there with yeah. football and, and all those other professional sports in terms of athleticism. And then as you sort of drip feed down, it, it comes very amateur very quickly. You look at football and you've got um, Blue Square Prem, which you'd know all about, Mark. Um, and then you've got the League Two, League One and Champ. And like they're very... You, admirable competitions whereas in rugby if you put a team in the league below against a team in the league above like they yeah they blow them away it, it, it don't work like that so yeah it's a can't have gap. an FA Cup or anything like that you know much more exciting game than it used to be there's not much doubt about that as you said like people are just they're, they're bigger faster stronger capable of a bit more and mm, yeah. obviously you, you see that on a Saturday I, I just snooker change in that sense because I I was a big fan of your work mm. back in the day and um, I, all those players I, I love I also love Obviously, Ronnie's still playing, but Judd yeah. and, and people like that. Like, has is, is it changed at all? I was talking about rugby there. Yeah, if you looked at snooker 20 years ago, you'd be to say, say the same sort of thing, probably. Loads of <laughs> yeah. like large, unfit people um, playing. And, and um, I mean, I include myself in that. I mean, I didn't do anything fitness wise. But yeah, I think a lot of the players, the young players now, are, are doing more of the table. We, you know, Mark and I were, were chatting um, earlier about the reason for Ronnie's, one of the reasons for Ronnie's longevity is fit. He's physically fit. He keeps himself fit. So he is younger than he's 48 years. He's more like a 35 year old than a 48 year old. Um, and I think Judd does a lot of fitness and, and you look down the top 16 and there's not really anyone overweight or, or looks unhealthy anymore. Um, Ellis, speaking of what, you know, what is and isn't top level sport of this, this Netflix documentary recently. And uh, you talked quite a bit about, feeling like you didn't necessarily belong in the, uh, at that level, even when you've been capped quite a bit and, you know, what, and something that, that, that was something you'd always felt, you know, and that really interested me because I, I understand a lot of those feelings of you. Is there anything that's changed for you or is that just something that you, that you just keep on dealing with? Yeah, I think it was, um, it was more so like the social demographic of, of rugby in general. The thing right, I love yeah. about individual sports, and this is why I'm such a big fan of snooker, boxing, um, all those sports where it's literally mono and mono, you and, and, and your opposite mm. man. Yeah. And if you're better than him, you're better than him. No one, no one cares where you're from. No one cares what yeah. you It's like. If you're that yeah, good, yeah. you're that good. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. Whereas in a team environment, you've got these different social dynamics. Like you train with other people. You, you're in camp with other people that you might not like, but you've, you've got to sacrifice some things yeah. to, be, to be a part of a team so for me i felt like i was probably changing myself for a few years probably the best part of six years to sort of fit in rugby's got a particular it's associated with a particular type of school i suppose and a yeah. particular type of background um yeah it's 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 changing slowly um but definitely yeah. when i was when i was younger when bristol were at the mem it was it was brutal yeah it was just it was literally first question everyone asked so what school did you go to and obviously i didn't really want to tell him i went to Knoll park so um yeah it was uh it was a bit of a weird one really um As a custodian, but, I can yeah, confirm it, you probably wouldn't want to say that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but but it's, it's it's one of them and like i said that's that's why i enjoy those individual sports so much because it's yeah. just you and the other person 
it's actually probably encouraged to be a bit different. Um, whereas yeah. in a team sport, it's all about sort of keeping your head below the parapet and, and getting your head down. My eldest son played rugby at school, and I never thought he'd ever play rugby because he, he was a bit like me, built like me and, and, and shy like me. But um, being part of that team culture really brought something out of him. Did you find that with you as well? Absolutely, mate. And the the big one is when you have to rely on a teammate, you, you don't know how, yeah. how vulnerable you are until you're on the pitch, you're struggling, and someone comes and helps you and how sort of energising that can be, which I don't envy you in the sense that I've seen, I, I watch a lot of snooker, as you can tell, I'm nosing you off a bit, but when I see people on that table and you see them, they miss that one shot and they crumble, I, I feel mm. so bad for them because I know if I'm in that situation, one of my teammates is going to cover for me. Whereas you yeah, guys, yeah. you're 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 just it's, it's you're gonna melt in front of everyone. It's it's, yeah. it's tough to watch. Yeah. Yeah, this is why it's fascinating watching individual sport. Like you say, you've got the kind of the freedom because you're on your own and no one's asking you anything about where you come from. But you're also so exposed. You've got no one to hide behind. And yeah, I'm the same as you, Alice. Watching a snooker, I think you almost don't can't look if you see someone stare at an easy ball they've just missed. Like knowing you've yeah. blown it yourself and there's no one else to blame. It must be. Mm. I mean, yeah, Stephen knows what that feels like. <laughs> yeah, well, I know more about it now. My missing balls. Yeah, I see my my opponents clearing up that than, than you're an ever on it now. I was actually, yeah. <laughs> I know. I was at my my golf club at the weekend, and I was telling them about you were coming on the show, and he said, "Oh, can you ask them this question?" So, they were asking with health and safety and all that sort of stuff. How do you, where do you see rugby in twenty years time? Because they they know more than me the ferocity of the tackling and everything. Where do you think it's going to go in twenty years time? Um, I think it'll either be thriving in one of the one of the top three sports in the world, or I think it'd be the other way around. I think it'd be gone purely because you, you didn't you take away that physical aspect. Well, we even do it now that we've got these they're called IMG, and I think it means uh, something. My God, I don't know what the I actually stands for, but it's a it's a I don't wear a gum shield. Um, right, but they've got these uh, chips and these mouth guards that tell you the velocity of, of the force of the contacts that. You're taking yeah. if you have one above a certain brick to whatever the measurement is, a certain force, then you get taken out of the game and, and, and stuff like that. And I right. just think, you, although obviously you need to know that you're safe, and it's just, it's just a bit unknown. Like like you said, it hasn't mm. been professional for that long, so people are still a bit there's a bit of ambiguity around whether or not it is safe. Where do I think it'd be in 20 years? Mm. Yeah, I think it's either going to be brilliant or or gone. I think you have yeah. to understand that there are some dangers in in sport in general and. I think if they make people very aware of it, then it's more of a, a moral decision whether or not you take it up or not. And again, I think they've come a long way in terms of watching like concussion protocols. And I think that the actual medical side of it's got much better, but the game has to stay the game. Like I've heard people say that about banning heading from football. And again, like you can't, you'd be rewriting the whole yeah. history of the game. At the end of the day, people are going to want to play the game still, surely. Yeah, I mean, like my a lot of my mates are road workers, and they've all got real bad arthritis and that, and like that's that's what comes with road working. Do you know what I mean? And what comes with sport, mm. the especially rugby, yeah. are the dangers of broken bones and, and concussions and stuff like that. So I think as long as you're aware of it and you make a conscious decision to go forward with it, then that's all you can do, really. Mm. Speaking of those guys, like mates, you've got, have you got any idea what you would have done if you hadn't been a rugby player? I won't be sat on Stephen Andrews' podcast. I can tell you that for free. Um, well, I wouldn't uh, have a podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know, mate. I was I was easy led, easily led astray. So it was uh, you could imagine growing up in Noel, uh, some of the opportunities yeah. that they were given to me, and uh, thankfully I found sport, um, and it, it steered me away from it. But yeah, I, I don't know where I would have been. Not here, that's for sure. 
Uh, and how's your snooker, Ellis? You've said you're quite a big fan. Do you play? I am. Uh, my highest break is 13, mate. I'm all for... Like, you can yeah, laugh. It's about, my about my uh, level, yeah. I'm, I'm all for, but I, I enjoy it so much. Uh, my issue is, Stephen, give me a tip if you want. Um, I, uh, I can't get... You know, you're supposed to put your chin on the ball. I can't put my chin yeah. on, the, on, the, on the cue, not the ball, so... I can't put my chin on the cue and look up at the ball because my neck's so right, stiff. Okay. I can't. How, how tall are you? Six one. I mean, the likes of Robertson, Sullivan, I'm five eleven. We're all around the six foot. It's a good good height, but it's obviously just a problem with the stance. That's always uh, that, that's probably why. But but you need to watch with a beard though, because I have it. You can't use an ash cue because it gets caught in the beard and it's bloody sore. Really? How about that? I don't think I moved the cue well <laughs> enough to uh, catch my beard. Yeah, um, you're not making a long enough break for it to get sore. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and you've, been to the, you've been to the Crucible, Ellis. I think. A couple yeah. Of years ago, we, um, who did we watch? I was with Manu Tuolangi, who, by the way, is, is brilliant at uh, snooker. Is he? He really? uh, is highest brace, fifty something. Yeah, you wouldn't afford oh, okay. it. He's, he's brilliant. Oh. No, um, he doesn't look like a snooker He played player. against. I know he played against Ken Doherty in an exhibition, and he broke like thirty odd. Um, really. He's brilliant, he's yeah. He's class. You should get him on. He's uh, he's obsessed yeah, with should. it more so than I am. Oh, really? Um, That's very cool. In 2017, okay. I think we watched Ronnie in uh, 2017. Okay. 17. Yeah, right. Ronnie was on one table and Judd was on the other. Well, that, was, that was a good time. Uh, oh, could you see both tables? No, we could only. See, we were sat in like a, like a VIP booth, and I think a rad would have been sat in the. I don't know what you call it in the in the seats where everyone else was because we were sat like that. Yeah. And I was sort of head height with the table. I couldn't see everything that was going on. Oh, and every time I needed okay. to go, went out the night before. And every time I needed to get up to go to the toilet, because I didn't feel too great. The ref would <laughs> turn around and look at me, give me the evil <laughs> Of all the sports where you don't want to get up and walk around too much. I know. Oh, I ruined it. Ruined it for everyone. The Masters <laughs> is the one you want to go to. If you want to go to the next one, go oh, to the Masters. I'd love to. Yeah. I'd love to, yeah. mate. Yeah. Have you got a um? Have you got a favourite player? Do you support Judd? Because of the Bristol connection, or I, I do, yeah. He um he actually plays at well, it's a driving range. It's not really a golf club, but he plays at Thickenham now and then, which is by my house. Mm. So I see him down there a little bit. I say hello. Who's my favourite player? Um, I've got a soft spot for Ronnie. I, I, I support Judd. I was supporting yeah, yeah. Judd the other day when they played, just because he's Bristolian. Right. I always got yeah. a bad judge, you know. Yeah, right. we stick together. He is, and he's <laughs> he's given us a lot of victories. To be fair. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. Uh, so Ellis is 147 seconds on the clock and uh, you do a red each time, which is a, a question about yourself. And then you get a choice of colours, three points for the green, which is rugby or general yeah. knowledge is, is the blue ball or oh, the snooker. Black. Snooker is the black, right? I mean, you can choose a different one every time, of course, but you're, you're going to go big. <laughs> the, um, the leaderboard is, uh, well, 26 is the highest ever score. Hendry got eight. And the lowest ever is five. So you only need one black, actually, one red and one black, and you'd already be <laughs> off the bottom. Are you ready, Ellis? I'm ready. Uh, the first red. What shirt number did you wear on your England debut? 17. It's correct. Uh, Colour? Black. How many century breaks has Stephen Hendry made in his career? 777 oh, as of January the 27th, 2024. Tremendous work. Well, that, Tremendous if we work. could award, if we could award more than seven points for that, we would. Uh, <laughs> back to a red. You won your uh, first and fiftieth Test cap for England against which country? Wales. Correct. Another colour is blue. General knowledge. Blue is general knowledge. I'll go blue. 
Which two countries share the longest international border? That's quite hard. Oh, countries. Russia and China. Not bad. I guess that's just Canada and the USA. Um, We go back to red. Um, At the end of 2017, you were voted what by your Leicester Tigers teammates? Young Players Player of the Year. Yeah, Young Player of the Year indeed. Uh, Another red in. Time for another colour? Black. Name two Scottish snooker players currently on the tour. Uh, John Higgins and... Jeez. He's almost there. Oh, come on, Genji. On on fire? On fire? Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I got it. It's gone. <laughs> Maguire is what he was on the tip of your Maguire, time. come on. Maguire, yeah. on fire. What's wrong with you? Stephen Maguire. <laughs> on Twitter, another red. On Twitter, you're followed by three pro snooker players. Can you name any of them? Oh, maybe Ronnie, Rob Milkins, and Mark Williams. I only need one, actually. The first two don't follow you, but Williams does. That's it. That's gone in. Oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, another. Probably got time for another colour. Um, I'll go black again. Redemption. Who was the last non-British player to win the Masters? Ding. Oh, it's Robertson. Uh, oh, Unlucky. Who did you get your first try for England against? Italy. Yes, it was Italy. Obviously, oh, there we go. Moment. probably last colour. Is he going to go black? Yeah, one more go on. time? black. I need it. I need it. Final black. Which Scottish snooker player has won the most professional matches? Andrew. Well, if it's not me, I'm very upset. It's not you, mate. It's Higgins. What? It's Higgins. It's John Higgins. Oh. That's what I've got on the card. 1200 plus. And that is time up. <laughs> Lot of reds there. That's, Unlucky that's on the couple of blacks. The last well, um, one <laughs> How have I not got Maguire? That is painful. Yeah, that'll be one to, that haunts you, but that's that's the yeah, game. Yeah. Ellis Genge ends up with 12. If, you, if you'd if you sunk that black, which was trying to think of Maguire on fire, you'd be up to third in the leaderboard. As it is, mid-table, still pretty respectable. Thanks a lot, Ellis, and uh, good luck, obviously, with the Six Nations, yeah, which starts away uh, to Italy first, is it? Yeah, yeah, Italy on Saturday. Um, yeah, so good luck with all the, all the games except against Scotland. <laughs> and that's it. Uh, thanks so much, guys. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Stephen, absolutely get pleasure. down and uh, Hacksaw and Delta Pieces soon. I'll see you down there. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, mate. Thanks, thanks a lot, Alice. So that's all from us this week on Snooker Club. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Snooker Club wherever you get your podcasts. And you can head to WST's YouTube to watch the show back. Uh, please do keep getting in touch. As loads of you have been, the address is snookerclub at wst.tv. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be joined by one of Britain's best quizzers, the vixen, Jenny Ryan from The Chase. Next week, the 147 returns, your fortnightly roundup from WST. Until then, see you soon. Yep, catch you later. Bye for now. <laughs>